The thing that I love about watching films and TV and theatre is that if I feel moved, changed, broadened, I feel like that's a success. Hello! Welcome to This Is My Cinema, the podcast from the British Independent Film Awards that gives you a seat next to some of our finest filmmaking talent as they tell us how cinemas shaped their own story. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader. And together, after months of being locked inside, we are so excited to be going outside and then back inside into the cinema. So we've been talking to loads of brilliant people like Emily Beecham, Reggie Yates, Kate Dickey and more, all talking about their favourite cinemas, favourite films and, crucially, their favourite filmmaking snack. I mean, you're a cinema snack guy, right, Michael? Do you remember any cinema trips where you can still taste exactly what you had? So, I'm a Chewy Sweet fan. Oh. And I think we can mention this brand, it's an international brand. When I'm in Toronto, I love a Milk Dud, a box of Milk Duds. Oh, mi- okay, wait, wait, wait. So, a Milk Dud's the things that, like, it's in Whiplash and they, like, mix it in with the popcorn. Is it that? Yeah, they do that. Paul Reiser does that in, in Whiplash, but that just is a very quick way to get chocolate all over your hands in the middle of the film, which you don't want. So <laughs> okay. I, I keep it pure, box of milk duds, and I have a very specific memory where I was gladly chowing down on milk duds. Midnight Madness, the Toronto International Film Festival, where they, that's their sidebar for just sort of the goriest, weirdest genre films. All screenings mm-hmm. start at midnight. You have a long, really great community atmosphere beforehand when people queue for hours beforehand they have bands playing all sorts of stuff i remember very happily tucking into my milk duds while watching the toronto premiere of julia de Cornell's cannibal coming of age film raw oh yes i'm just there shoveling them into my mouth as <laughs> as someone is escorted out fainting during certain scenes of that quite gnarly <laughs> film <laughs> you cannot be phased i love it so even cannibalism doesn't put you off your snacking in a cinema exactly i'm a hardcore one as you said <laughs> So on to today's guest, who is currently starring in one of the biggest shows in the world right now, Loki. Like, a pretty big deal. Mm. We were lucky enough to speak to Wumi Masaku, who I know from years ago from Dancing on the Edge, which was this brilliant jazzy series on the BBC starring uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor as well. And it was all about the jazz movement coming to the UK. And she's also, I think, one of the most recognisable faces working in TV. She was in End of the Effing World, which was that brilliantly dystopian Netflix series. Also, she played Gloria Taylor in Damalola, Our Loved Boy. And she was in Kiri as well on Channel 4. Yeah, but then in the last year or so, she's broken onto the big screen with Mm -hmm. His House, which did end up on Netflix, but it's still worth seeing on the big screen if you get the chance to. A big Biffa film, uh, Wumi won Best Actress at the Biffa Awards earlier this year. It was an incredible performance. Absolutely incredible performance and a film that's really worth seeing. But Wumi's career to date goes from almost like the hugest screen. One of the first films I saw her in was Batman vs Superman, Dawn of Justice. She has a small role in that. Similarly, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Mm -hmm. She goes from the biggest to some would say the smallest screen in my household. We often watch her CBB's uh, story time <laughs> performance. <laughs> I love that. So cute. We do have a toddler, I should say. <laughs> she has a beautiful voice and it really, really, really was a pleasure to speak to her. So here she is, Wumi Masaku.
Wumi Masaku, thank you so much for joining us today. So for the duration of this chat, we have this dream setup we put all our guests in. For as long as we're talking, this is your cinema. And we like to start off with the big dream situation. You have a cinema of your choice for the evening to show us a film of your choice. What film comes to mind and does a cinema come to mind as well? The cinema that comes to mind is the Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square. I've got my lifetime membership. I've been in there numerous times, completely on my own sometimes. And I just really love the vibe in there. I really do. It's comfortable, cosy, homely. What I love about the Prince Charles Cinema is the sing-alongs. I was just going to ask you, is that why? Is that why you go? Yes. So I think I would do something like Annie, obviously, but I would want my friends to come along. So my friends aren't that into Annie as I am. So I would probably do something like Grease. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a classic. (laughs) I'm I'm not a massive musicals fan. Can you tell me why Grease is the one? Well, it's one that I feel just very nostalgic about. I feel like Mm. I, I knew all the words for sure. And they come back to me easily and um, the dance moves. I live in LA now and actually I cycle down the, I think it's called the Paloma, Paloma bike path where they shoot the scene with the drivers oh, down the, the oh yeah, in God, the old LA so river. Cool. Yeah, so I, I live not far, I live like a three minute cycle to that bike path. It just feels really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever just sat on the edge? You know when Sandy's sitting there with the little trainers and she does a little run down? Have you ever done that? No, I haven't. I just generally use it as a bike path, but it's kind of like when I first went down there with my now husband, I was, this is so cool. I can't actually believe. I never saw that side of LA before I met him. So just little things like that. This is movie history (laughs) right here. So were musicals the staple diet growing up then? Is that what you you loved as a kid? I loved Annie. So I watched Mm. Annie every single day after school, every single day after school. And I don't know why, (laughs) (laughs) but it just always really just spoke to me. And I just never got bored of it. I still don't get bored of it. And the first song literally gives me goosebumps. And if I haven't watched it in a year, the first song literally will bring a tear to my eye. I don't know what it is. It just reminds me of a really happy time in my life as a kid where everything was really simple. (laughs) And I just love it. I just have always loved it. And I love singing. I do love singing. I wish I was a better dancer, but I I try. So are these films watching at home or did you get to go to see any musicals at the cinema? No, the cinema was not a thing that we went to as kids. Mm. We were pretty tight purse strings, like really, really looked after every single penny. So cinema wasn't a thing. I think the first time I went to the cinema, we were meant to go see The Lion King, but our babysitter was late and I was so angry. (laughs) It was our first trip, me and my sister's first trip. But what actually ended up happening was a real gem. We ended up watching The War of the Buttons. Have you ever seen that? I've not heard of that one. I've not heard of it. It's a gem. It's a gem of a film. And no one seems to know about it. But I watched it instead of The Lion King and it did not disappoint. I really love, like for so many people, their first experience of going to the cinema is to see a Disney film. And yours was supposed to. But by this brilliant (laughs) stroke of serendipity, it was not. One thing we talk about on this podcast with our guests is this sort of shift that happens when you go from being taken to the 
cinema as a kid to going out of choice. And did that sort of shift happen to you? It mostly happens young adulthood into teenage years. And what were you seeing with your mates if you were going then? I just feel like I was too broke to go to the cinema. I feel like my first trip to the cinema as a young adult on my own was to see Titanic with my best friend from primary school. And I just was completely, (laughs) that was a mess. I couldn't stop crying. I cried on the bus home. Yeah, but then I just, I don't know when, when did Titanic come out? Was it 96? 97. So 97, I was probably 10, 11. And I feel like that was my first trip on my own, but I don't think, the cinema wasn't like a, a regular occurrence. I think until I really got the Prince Charles membership. I think you're in the clear, but I think you might have snuck into a 12 uh, underage yeah. there to see Titanic. Although you did. I can say that now. My my <laughs> mum and my aunt took me to see Titanic when I was underage. Too, so you're in, you're in good company here. <laughs> Do you remember what sort of cinema you were going to when you saw a film like Titanic? Was that like a, a big multiplex or a small cinema or or what it was? That was the Odeon on Oxford Road, Manchester. Yeah. Um, a classic. Classic. <laughs> Do you know it, Michael? Is that where you used to go? It's a historic building. They had a, a, a local premiere of Star Wars back in the day. It's a whole history oh, wow. behind that. And even though probably by our time, uh, when we, it was it was a bit of a sort of sticky floor type Odeon. It wasn't that posh back then. But uh, it, it had its heyday. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So I guess you moved to London to study. But at what point then did you think acting was for me? Was that a, a, a cinema experience or watching a film or a telly or something? It was theatre. Theatre mm. was the thing that made it for me. And that's where I spent my money. After I got my job at Cafe Nero, anything that was extra would go to the theatre. So I was a young ambassador at the Royal Exchange Manchester for a couple of years and I got five free tickets to every show. So I just go to the theatre all the time. I used to have a really bad habit of whenever I was in a cinema or... I would fall asleep. But in a theatre, I couldn't. I couldn't fall asleep in a theatre. It doesn't matter how good or how bad a show was, I couldn't fall asleep. I was still mesmerised by the fact that there was this fourth wall that wasn't really there, but we and we were all sharing a space. But I think when I got down to London and I got the Prince Charles cinema membership and I could go and it wasn't crazy expensive and I could still afford to go to the theatre with the student tickets and all that stuff that's when I started watching more film and I felt more confident to go on my own as well and I think like in Manchester like you don't do anything on your own really like you have to you can't go for dinner on your own you can't go to the theatre on your own you can't go to the cinema well as a kid and then I moved to London I was like oh I can do all this stuff on my own I don't actually have to have a buddy and so that's when I started going to the cinema. It's a very freeing realisation, isn't it? Oh, I love going to the cinema by myself. Love it. I, I love going to the theatre by myself. love going to the cinema yeah. by myself. love going for lunch by myself. I'm like, I don't need you all. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> I just want to take you back to what you were saying about Titanic and how clearly cathartic that was for you because you cried so much afterwards. Yeah. Thinking about that in terms of, were those the kinds of films that you would seek out then when you were able to go or were you just like I want to see anything and everything any kind of love story anything that would make me cry I love things that make me cry 
why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know if it's just therapeutic, but I just love anything. And I love love. I just love love stories. I just love them. I mean, the question's coming. What is your favourite love story on screen? I want to say Frozen, really. Oh. like Because the two sisters, it was the first time I saw this sisterly love that was above a love between Any lovers. Yeah, I was just like, oh, yes why why have we spent our whole life thinking that the only love that's important and that can save you is romantic love no i think annie and frozen are perfect examples of love on screen yeah i'm I'm loving those suggestions you said that you may fall asleep watching a film but you wouldn't dare do that in a theater because of the that connection with the performance does that also affect it the emotional experience of, of crying and everything is it different when you're seeing something on stage than on screen I think that's maybe why I like the Prince Charles when I can go at like a two o'clock show and no one's there and I can cry. I think that having other people around you, you kind of have to watch yourself, right? You kind of have to rein it in. So I feel at home watching a film or like in a cinema where there's really not many people around, where you can just feel it. I do prefer that freedom of just letting it out and letting it loose and letting it be. I want to just take you back to a time when basically the first time I saw you on screen, which was Dancing on the Edge. And that stayed with me for such a long time. I mean, it still does. And I still listen to the soundtrack. It was just incredible. That was kind of when TV was starting to get really cinematic. Can you tell me about some of your memories of filming that? And also about you saying how much you love singing about the idea of can you separate singing and acting or is it just kind of fused for you in that? Oh, no. Singing and acting is so different for me because I don't think of myself as a singer I think of myself as someone who enjoys singing and who sings, but my nerves comes out in my voice. When I'm nervous, you may not clock it on camera, but my family can clock. A little croak is there in my voice, just a tiny little croak. And it's in every single show I've ever done, you will hear it. My family will be like, oh, she was really nervous in that scene. Um, (laughs) So when I'm singing, I feel so nervous. I sang in a girls' choir with 44 girls or 43 girls around me and for from 7 to 18 and Manchester Girls' Choir. And so as soon as I had to sing on my own, it just it still feels really foreign. I was so confident in the girls' choir. We all kind of sounded like each other. We blended together. We'd been together since we were seven, some of us, you know what I mean? And I still miss the girls choir when it comes down to me singing on camera I'm just like oh I can't do it on my own so yeah I feel like with Dancing on the Edge I I mean it was great that I got to pre-record everything but I still felt so new to singing alone other than at drama school like for song and verse I guess it's like an exam you get up and you do a song then you do a poem or you did speech and verse which was a a monologue and a poem those were the only times I sang on my own really so yeah Dancing on the Edge was really new for me in that kind of vocal world. I love that you say that we may not as viewers be able to hear the nerves in your voice but your family would be able to tell And it's something that comes up time and again that sometimes the most closest to us are our toughest critics so they can see through all of the old stuff. (laughs) Is that that true in your case? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's the most imperceivable croak. But when I sing, 
it's there. It's 100% there. I have to get in the recording booth and sing it a billion times until I'm no longer nervous to get that croak out of my voice. It's just so there all the time. But yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like my family, I don't feel like they're overly critical. They just can be like, oh, she's nervous. They don't think that's a criticism. But I'm like, oh yeah, so, oh great. So you can tell I'm nervous. Great. I didn't hide that that well. <laughs> <laughs> It's always really fun in these conversations to talk about that moment where we go from the kid or the young adult in the cinema screen, you know, with popcorn watching, to them being on that screen. Unlike Rihanna, I'm not as much a telly person, so the first time I saw you would have been on a massive IMAX screen. Batman vs Superman, Fantastic Beasts, oh, those wow. sort of big, splashy blockbusters. Coming to you a bit late, I'm, I'm afraid. But So what's it like watching yourself on a massive screen then? I guess it's weird. It's hard to not be critical of yourself. Your face is right there and it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's watching. I definitely don't like watching my work in front of other people. I don't like going to screenings and premieres because I'm so critical of myself and I just can't enjoy it whilst other people are watching. I feel like I've not been to the cinema. I've not seen a big screen in so long maybe the next time I might actually enjoy it because <laughs> it's been it feels like forever have you seen his house on a big screen yet yes I saw his house at Sundance oh yeah what was that experience like because do you get frightened by your own performance because I was absolutely terrified in that film. I do I do I'll tell you I'll tell you a funny story I went to the premiere of Citadel which is a scary film I did in 2011 and I obviously know the story <laughs> spoiler alert sorry spoiler alert I know when I die I know how I die right and at the premiere I jumped so hard at my own death <laughs> which I knew was coming and how it was going to happen, I spilt my drink all <laughs> down my dress. No! At, at Sundance, I sat there for the whole film with my hand over my drink. <laughs> That's how I have to watch even my own scary films, because I know what happens, but I still am a wimp. <laughs> <laughs> His house was just absolutely phenomenal and just the most frightening thing ever. And again, coming back to your habit of crying, you cried when you read the script, I heard. So that must always be a good indicator that you're going to take the role, right? Oh, that I want the role. Yes. I mean, yes, absolutely. I still had to audition. And that film, reading it was just the scary stuff in the film it's not really written in the script. Is there something there? Is the lights turn off or whatever? A lot of things were added as well. Some things we did reshoots for. Actually, it was just the energy of the script. My heart was pounding. And I was like, is there even this thing there? I don't feel like it was really written in. It was just written so well that you just felt it. It really stayed with me. And it really just, it really opened my mind and my heart reading that script, I really felt it was so rich and important and moving. And you could do this whole film and there is no a pet in there. And it's completely real because it's just, it's the horrors, it's the hauntings that people live with. And so 
the last scene, it was very emotive to me. And even still, I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I don't really like watching my own work, but still that last scene always kind of takes my breath away. That last scene in the room, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, <laughs> but it, it really does. Cause it just makes me think, wow, we're all so, we're all carrying so much, but a refugee asylum seeker, you can't even imagine what they've been through and what they're carrying with them. Mm. So that festival audience was one of the few audiences that got to see it in that community, yeah. same atmosphere. Most of us got to watch it and love it, you know, down the line in our own homes, which gives it a whole extra texture. But how did it go down in that room? Yeah, it it went down well. People were scared and people were moved. I guess I felt relieved because you got the scares all the way through, but at the end you could hear the people feeling how I felt when I read that last scene. As long as it's not just scary, it's it has the heart too. Yeah. And can you tell us about the excitement and that sort of almost like that potential energy of working with a first time filmmaker like Remy Weeks and reading that script and realising that his kind of feature debut and almost like the discovery of that talent from within the industry? Well, first of all, someone who can write a script like that, I just trust. I just trusted. I hadn't really thought about the fact that he was a first time director, really. I was just like, you wrote this script? Oh my gosh, I'm desperate to work with you. It didn't really cross my mind that he was a first time director. He's obviously so brilliant. He's just obviously so amazing. Yeah. And I was just like really excited to work with him. I just... From the moment we met, we got on really, really well. And I could tell from the audition process that he was a perfectionist in a good way. We would do the scenes over and over again with little notes and little changes and here and here and here. And it was like fine tuning. Sometimes you re- you realize how broad you can be in an audition and you think you're being specific and you're making the choices, but every other couple of lines, he'd give you another thing to think about, another meaning behind the line. And like wow (laughs) this is gonna be it's gonna be hard work in a good way as rich as I think the script is there's so much I still have to explore I'm thinking I I love these visual metaphors almost going from sitting Royal Exchange watching actors do their magic in that amazing such minimalist space of the Royal Exchange Theatre to the amazing journey you've been on in so many different dimensions, genres, scale, and everything. What is the path through all that? What is it you're looking for? What is it you want to discover through all the work you do? The thing that I love about watching films and TV and theatre is that I feel moved by them. If I feel moved, changed, broadened, more set in my idea, less set in an idea. I feel like that's a success. It's amazing that you you can grow by watching other people's art. So I guess that's my goal in my career is being a part of projects that move people and that people grow, change, feel absolutely more determined more convinced or less convinced and questioning can't keep it together on the bus home if that is something that is happening with the stories that we're telling 
then it fills me with hope and optimism. That's beautifully put. <laughs> I ask a silly question, I get an amazing answer. Thank you. You've got a great decade and a half of roles under your belt. Do you still have idols or role models you look to, older actors who you think, I want to have that sort of longevity, have that sort of impact uh, that still inspire you? I try not to compare. So I don't want to say I want to be like uh, Meryl Streep because I will feel like a failure if I don't become her, right? There is something that I have witnessed <laughs> that still to this day kind of really blows my mind. Anjanu Ellis, in just the read-through of episode seven of Lovecraft Country, it's like alchemy. And when I watched episode seven, I was completely transported and I just, that level of complete belief in what she's saying and the world that she's creating, that she can do it literally in a room full of actors, crew, execs, and we just got a script in front of us. I was really completely gobsmacked and could not, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe that she had created it it was real it felt so real and the emotion was just there (laughs) how how do you do that how did you just do that how did you just transport us how did you make us feel that this was so real how do you feel that this is so real that you're really really going through it she went through it and it was just the read-through no costume no makeup no nothing no lights no nothing my old teacher at RADA, Bill Gaskell, he used to do this thing where he'd be like, imagine it, imagine it. There would be nothing on the stage. There'd be nothing in the room. And he'd be like, so what color are the cushions? I'd be like, what cushions? What are you talking about? And in that moment, I feel like I really understood what he meant. You really have to paint the picture and have a relationship to everything. When I saw that, I was like, that's what he was talking about. Because I really completely saw it. I just saw it. It was magic. It was magical. That's the goal, <laughs> is to be it, to be real, to feel it, and paint that picture so clearly for everyone that they feel it. And, they, and there's no question about it. This is the truth of the moment. Yeah, I guess that's my career goal. <laughs> <laughs> incredible I love that Michael just kind of keeps throwing out these questions to you and you give these amazing answers that in itself was something to behold that was something to behold that was the magic right there yeah before we go I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you is you have this fantastic ability to go between these beautiful smaller indie films and then you have access to these huge franchises with endless audiences of course Wizarding World and now Marvel so are you able to still approach those roles in the same way that you would when you have knowledge of how big that universe can be? I think it's the same I mean luckily for me B Hunter B-15 is a complete new character. I don't have a comic, I don't have anyone's ideas to kind of fit into. I don't have someone's childhood dream of who this character should have been played by. I don't have any of that expectation, which is really, really freeing. So in that respect, I really just started 
as I would with every character. And it's really simple <laughs> to start with. What do I say about myself and what do other people say about me? And that's a really great starting point from in a script to start building your character. And what do you want and what's in the way of getting what you want? So I really try and approach all characters from the same starting point. I really don't think it matters the size of the project. It's the alchemy of the the craft that matters, right? It's that thing that Anjanu can do. Like, it doesn't matter if it's in something low budget or big budget. It's still, that's the goal. A big difference is time, having the the time to get things wrong and do it again. You don't really have that on a smaller film. But then at the same time, not having too much time means that it's more, it can be fresher and you just go with it. And there's not a procedure about it, like a procedural thing where you kind of have to do one scene in one day. That's nice as well. I think the the core of it is still the same, whatever the size of the project is. Yeah, you're saying, talking about the freedom of being a character in an adaptation that isn't in the source material makes me think of the end of the world where I'd read the book beforehand, mm-hmm. but your double act with Gemma Whelan was one of the highlights of the adaptation for me because that whole thread of the story was added to that. Yeah. So you have the opportunity to come in and really blow the minds of the people who think they know what they're going to get, but they're going to get something extra. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's cool that you read the comic. It's so different as well because of, yeah, I really, that was really cool that you read that. I never read comics and I was like, oh, I can read. I mean, this is interesting. I like this. Like, I didn't know comics were like that. I thought it was just boom, yeah. ow, slam, yeah. you know. <laughs> it could be all those things and more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rihanna, I think we've talked with me yeah, <laughs> to death now, but to uh, death, do we have anything to wrap up before we wrap up any final questions for you, Rihanna? Well, I suppose the one that we always ask everyone before we get to our final question is the cinema experience is, as we've talked about, so visceral, so cathartic. It can really make you jump or whatever. Is there one film moment that stuck with you that you're really glad that you saw it with a huge audience at the cinema? I don't know if the audience mattered in this bit, but a film that changed my ideas about genre was Get Out. I don't like horror and I really thought it was one thing I didn't think it could have like the social commentary and I guess if it wasn't for Get Out I wouldn't have been so excited about the idea of doing horror in his house and Lovecraft country and so I definitely feel like that was a, a turning moment for me realizing that genre can be used in so many different ways and can have a political and social element. I had missed that. I didn't know that that existed. I was just scared. And so I just didn't watch it. That's so perfect. I did actually see Get Out with an early screening with a packed audience. And it was like almost life-changing, genuinely. It's, yeah. it's so even as you were coming out, you could hear the conversations about it and they were conversations about horror that hadn't really been had before. Yeah. And that was very, very cool and very exciting to sort of be part of that buzz. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a film, I know that it's when his mate turns up at the end and he comes out of the house and there's a cop car there. That's a moment that many audiences just flip for because it's that 
great twist at the end. Yeah. <laughs> but should we drop the, the big question? Michael, you're very good at this. Go on, you, you do the big final question. So, well, me, you're, you're evening at the cinema. So it's Greece, mm-hmm. Prince Charles Cinema. Mm-hmm. Nice downstairs bar area, Prince Charles. Yeah. What are we eating and drinking? What's your take on the cin- the perfect cinema snack? Does it have to be one snack or can it be the whole meal? Hey, no, <laughs> go, no, go whatever, whatever you want, it's your evening. <laughs> I would say a hot dog. Mm-hmm. And this sounds really boring, but a big thing of soda water. Do love a, do love a good soda water. A gin and tonic after. And <laughs> some Maltesers. Oh, oh, wow, that is that's amazing. <laughs> That's brilliant. I got so excited that my earphone fell out at the G&T comment. Because, yes, 100%, I'm with you. Do you load up your hot dog? Because I know that's quite controversial. The sauces, the onions. Oh, the onions in a cinema, yeah. Mm. Got to have onions on a hot dog. Got to. I I mean, it's sacrilege not to. I'm sorry, but... (laughs) And do people sit near you in the cinema when you're I'm starting to understand why you go alone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do we get dogs in england i don't do them in america because they're that that weird those weird ugly you know oh, like the frankfurtery yeah, yeah i don't like those i just love like i love like a british you know cumberland sausage in a bat do you know what i mean so i'm talking that would be my ideal i don't actually <laughs> i don't actually eat them in the in the cinema Mm-mm. i don't eat them in the cinema but if i could the one thing I would, you know, the couple of things I would import from the UK to the US would be proper sausages and crumpets. Oh, crumpets. You don't get crumpets. That's no, I, I had to learn how to make my own crumpets last year <laughs> in quarantine. And it was long. And I made a big old batch. And, and hobnob biscuits. That's mm. Those three yes. things I would import from the UK. And proper cheese. Oh my God, I'm so hungry. I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> What a full meal of an evening that would be. <laughs> Thank you so much, Wimasaku. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. How amazing was Wumi? That was such a lovely interview. She's awesome. Very cool and absolutely wonderful. We recorded this interview when I was in Manchester seeing family, so Manchester was very much on my mind. Great to talk to a fellow Mancunian about the cinema trips, the cinemas of their life, you know, with crossover there. Immediately afterwards, I went and found the ticket to the regional premiere of Star Wars that was at the Odeon Oxford Road that we mentioned on on the show. My parents actually won a competition to go to that. That's so sweet. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Listeners, make sure you check out Wumi in Loki and everything else she is in. It's absolutely wonderful what she's doing on screens of many sizes. Big thank you again to Wumi for joining us for this episode and inviting us into her cinema. If you're a fan of Annie, you're in with Wumi. <laughs> make sure you're subscribed to the podcast to hear the next episode. And if you've missed any, check back in our feed to catch up. Thanks for listening. Bye. This is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen. Content is Queen.